Hi, this is Joe. And I'm Amy. And this is What Makes It Fun with Joe. And Amy. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to another episode of What Makes It Fun with Joe. And Amy. <laughs> Uh, today we have our special guest is Webster Colcourt. He has done so much cool stuff. He does animation and visual effects and um, uh, 2D animation and claymation and uh, all kinds of really cool stuff. He's worked on uh, the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that came out uh, about a year or so ago. Maleficent, X-Men Days of Future Past, um, Superman Returns, I believe. He worked on Ted, way back in the day, James and the Giant Peach, and Minority Report, and Ants, all kinds of awesome stuff. Yeah, and they recently released Ted 2 uh, that came out just a few days ago. He worked on that as well. He tells us some interesting stories about that. So that interview is coming up. Uh, and after that, we're going to do a round of uh, Almost Fun and Certified Fun. So stay tuned for that and enjoy this ep- uh, enjoy this interview with Webster Coolcord. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, we are here with Webster Colcord. And, uh, what is, what is your title right now, Webster? My title right now, actually, I don't know. I need to talk to the producers <laughs> about it. I think it's changing. But I think it's going to end up being either post-viz supervisor or motion capture supervisor or mocap supervisor on TED2. So that's what I'm doing right now. That's cool. Uh, is, is this the most like exciting project you've been on? Or? No, 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 because no, I worked on Ted One, and that was more exciting because it was the you know it was Seth's uh, first feature, uh-huh. and it was uh, the first time anybody had seen the character, and we knew right away. You know, you just read the script, and it was like it was really original and awesome in in a way that you know is familiar at the same time. Like just the scenes, like the or like when they performed it on set, like the you know fuck you thunder uh-huh. you know it was just like we're we're all like laughing to ourselves and then every you know, it was just wonderful that everybody you know the rest of the world liked it as well uh, so that was more exciting than this and then there have been other projects that were more exciting than than that so oh, no yes. no it's not the most exciting <laughs> well you've worked on like so many things like you've worked on um x-men days of future past yeah uh you worked on tiger woods pga tour 06 06 and yeah. the next gen version yeah Oh, that's 06 funny. 06 and 07, I think, yeah. And you do your uh, lead animator? or I was the lead, I was the animation lead on that, or lead animator, or animation supervisor, whatever you want to call it. And mm-hmm. um, and then we did a motion capture session with um, Tiger down in Florida. Oh, cool. And, uh, and we did, actually, we did a, it was sort of special because we did also a universal capture with him, which was, uh, there was a guy at, who was at EA at the time named George Borshkoff, who had worked, I'd worked with at... Um, ESC on the Matrix movies, Mm. and for the Matrix uh, Reloaded, he developed this technique of universal capture, where basically you take three cameras and you capture a wraparound texture map of the actor's face for every frame, and then you reproject that back onto photogrammetrically uh, derived geometry for every frame. Uh So it's a, it's a clever trick that, you know, gives you sort of a shortcut to an absolutely photo real human. And so we did that with Tiger and that was, so that was pretty cool. Wow. How long did that take to render? (laughs) Well, it takes a long time to sort through the, you know, to basically, you know, you got to erase the the markers on the the person's face and you, you know, you get a wraparound mesh. One little interesting thing is there, 
you have to sync up the um, the, the 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 texture maps mm-hmm. with the geometry moving. So the way you sync that is with an eye blink. So that's just a little oh, funny thing, you know. Wow. It's it's really breakdown of the image, but it takes a while to uh, to render. But there was a they were working on getting it streaming into. They couldn't actually implement it in the next gen Tiger Woods, which was I think 2006 or 2007. They had to, um, you know, it, it came into one of the later games, and I don't think anybody really noticed. But mm. uh, he did a demo of it at, at E3. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. and he also was hired by. He was also using it at EA for fi- one of the Fight Night games, and they basically recreated a scene from. Uh, they did a super punch like at the end of the Matrix mm-hmm. uh, Revolutions, but in Fight Night. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but that you know that was something that you only would have really appreciated if you saw the rendered pre-rendered version at EA, which the public <laughs> didn't ever see because they, you know they wanted it to be in game rendered and so all like that. So like four people were delighted and the rest of the world. Well, was, 30, 30 people thought it was totally awesome, and it was. It was really awesome. It was actually really cool so shit. so having worked on movies like Tattoo and like games, uh, what do you prefer like personally? Well, um, I can be really diplomatic and say, I, you know, that it's great in the game world because like in, in the, in the movies, when you do animation, you know, you blink and, you know, two weeks of work, you know, if the, if the audience members blink, they miss your two weeks of your life yeah. that you spent on a certain shot. Um, but with the games, because it's a, it's a machine that it's an engine that has to, you know, it's a clockwork, you know, the, the, the motion tree for a character, you know, repeats your animation again and again. If you do something nice, the, the fans really appreciate it because you see it again and again, play it again and again. So that's really rewarding in the game world. But I have to say, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm older, so I'm like a quarter slot gamer. I'm like a three minute gamer. So I'm really not, I'm, I, I felt like I had to, go back to movies from my time in games because I'm, I, I could never be as good as I, as, as, as I wanted to be in, in games because I'm just not like my kids are, I'm mm-hmm. not that into it, you know. Oh. I don't know, maybe that'll change, you know, like I dig Minecraft, you know. Oh. <laughs> so if we could go back to, uh, do you, do you remember like the first time like you entertained someone, like as a kid, maybe? Putting on like a show or yeah. a claymation. Or yeah, it's embarrassing. Well, who was <laughs> the way you say like, yeah? Yeah, no, I was because it came up just recently. Like my my grandparents were. I, I my grandmother had her ninety first birthday, and um, they were talking about how I uh, used to do magic shows on the, you know, for the the relatives. Or I'd make. Oh yeah, it was my aunt. She was saying I used to make these, you know, eight millimeter movies with, you know. Exploding heads and stuff, and it's pretty impressive. Gross <laughs> out, the, gross out the family. Mine is a puppet show, so if I was I'd be proud too. <laughs> but yeah, I think that they were, you know, I don't know. That, that's what I used to do. How did you I know don't know if I entertained anybody. Yeah, <laughs> Whether they enjoyed it, it's a different I don't know. Issue. Yeah. Uh, how did you? But it was a, it was the kids at school too. Yeah, like I used oh. to do drawings for the girls. Like I used to do like a horse. You know, oh. like was, I got good at like one thing or Spider Man for some, some of my. Male friends. And oh, and then you just draw it over and over. But yeah, when the girls like you drawing horses, you learn to draw better. <laughs> horses. <yeah. laughs> Did you ever draw a spider horse? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> no. Please, everyone. <laughs> uh, so, so when you're when you're working like whatever medium, it's like clay or doing previs or storyboarding or game animation. Um, what is, what's one of the first things that you kind of keep in mind, like a, a maxim for like 
uh, making sure that you have like a clear animation or easy to understand animation or do you have any like set rules that you kind of go by? Yeah, there's like a lot of set rules. I mean, there's, um, there's, you know, because the human eye is really good at picking out naturalistic motion mm-hmm. and, um, and knowing when something doesn't look right, you know, um, and, and there's a whole set, a giant list of rules that um, are, you know, sort of some of them are animation principles that you can find in a book. Some of them are just sort of common sense things. Some of them are acting things. And then there's a whole um, set of rules that you use for camera in terms of mm. what people are cinematically used to seeing. Mm. So, um, yeah, there's just a shitload of things <laughs> to, to consider. Um, one of the things that... Um, I was uh, talking to one of my coworkers about yesterday was um, scale in in animation. A lot of younger animators, or younger is the wrong word. I don't want to be ages uh, novice animators. Yeah, thank you. They will make the mistake of animating something to the scale that it is in screen space. So mm-hmm. if it's occupying a lot of screen space, they'll you know because they're worried about it being jerky or you know they'll they'll animate it as if it's a large object. Um, you know, moving across the screen, you know, it'll look smooth and the acting may be somewhat correct. But in reality, if you were to shoot a small object up close, it would still be just as jerky. You know, it's still jerk around on screen. You just accept it because, you know, so what we see in live action or, or maybe something I've seen in, in a lot of games is where you have a close up of a hand on a button. You know, there's a whole, you could make a whole YouTube. There probably is like a YouTube compilation of, uh, hands on buttons or I wanted to make one of feet on cars because that's a, a uh, shot you do a lot in previs. Yeah, a, sh- a shot you do a lot in, you see a lot in movies is feet on cars. Feet on cars. Like, uh, like, <laughs> like, like in, standing on top of the, the no, car? Well, like, you know, it, with the one, it was Wolverine. It was, um, I had to have Wolverine jump on a bumper of a car. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's just a little shot, but it's important and it, it's like 18 frames. And how do you animate that? And, and, how would you shoot it in live action? I mean, we shot on James and the Giant Peach a long time ago. We shot the, uh, you know, there was a whole night shoot. One of the um, folks from the modeling department was the actress, and she was just the uh, James's aunt's, you know, uh, pressing the foot pedal of the car to get it started. You know, you could make a whole, yeah, compilation of feet on cars. It uh. would be funny. Um <laughs> Yeah, anyway, I could go on about that. Obviously, I was my nerd and I've spent too much time thinking about that. But yeah. it's like you'll see you'll see like animators who treat the character treat the hand coming in and pressing the button as a character. And so it comes into frame oh. and it does this oh, anticipation yeah. thing and it presses the button. And I'm you know, your viewers can't see what I'm doing with my hand, but you know, it's an exaggerated hand. It's like it's a beautiful shot if you just consider the hand as a character. But mm-hmm. you know, the hand's attached to the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. You know, so I it doesn't it, it's, it's not what would be shot if it was an actor, you know. Right. <laughs> so I always think of you know, when I'm animating, I always think of what the action is actually outside of the frame. You know, I try to animate mm-hmm. even um when it's just a part of the character in the frame. I try to, you know, animate it for the physicality of the whole body and getting it correct three-dimensionally. And that's something that you actually have to do more in games than in film. In film, um, you know, you animate something to look good in, as a 2D image, but in games, of course, it has to work in three-dimensional space. Right. We run into that in movies more because we always do simulation passes mm-hmm. now on most characters that we, that we, um, 
that we're animating as a, as a visual effect. So that also has to be, uh, you know, uh, sort of three-dimensionally correct and, and can't, you know, for instance, have intersections where the cloth, for instance, would, would crash or, you know, get weirdly compressed. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, this is, gets into a very technical... <laughs> but we would have the same problem, actually, in clay animation way back in the old days where you would animate a character, and by the end of the shot, if you looked at the character in three-dimensionally, if you were to rotate the character, their face would all kind of squunch up into this sort of this flat shape. They got gradually, because the animators are looking at a 2D image, the, the face would turn into sort of a two-and-a-half-dimensional rather than a fully three-dimensional mm -hmm. sculpt, just gradually over time. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway. So do you think that... that True story. Uh, like, kind of uh, correcting for those types of errors, is it more because of the art and animation direction, or do you think of the audience, and they the audience is going to think it's weird? Like, where's the lead at? Oh, uh, that's a good question. That's a good question. It's not really about the audience thinking it's weird, because people always cheat stuff two-dimensionally in movies constantly. Um, I mean, the whole thing is a cheat. So... Mm -hmm. And sometimes they cheat things two-dimensionally. And then, you know, these days where most 3D films are actually done post as post-3D, mm -hmm. you see a, a, a lot of instances where they're three, doing a three-dimensional cheat to 2D. And then somebody later, <laughs> probably at Prime Focus in India, is extrapolating this 2D cheat into another 3D version. It's wow. crazy fucked up. But anyway, <laughs> so... Um, no, I don't think it's for the audience. It's really... It's because they wouldn't necessarily spot it. They know something subjectively was wrong, mm -hmm. but you know, you do it more for if you have a good supervisor, they would catch you on it, you know, or for yourself, you know, you, you know that it's wrong or for down the pipeline, literally down the, down the render pipeline, um, you'll get caught by the visual effects. I mean the, um, like particle effects or by, you know, the simulation guys or by cloth or, in the case of a game, it will, like, there'll be an actual technical glitch because you didn't obey, like, you know, like, silly things like ladders mm -hmm. in a game are really hard fucking things to deal with, <laughs> yeah. you know, because a character can approach the ladder from any direction, but it has to be oriented to the ladder to climb it properly, it has to align with the rungs of the ladder. Mm -hmm. So all the ladders usually have to be the same rung, you know, any, it's just insanely <laughs> complex yeah. how that stuff, you know, that stuff like that. Or like in Tiger Woods, I don't, I don't know if they've ever solved this, but a caddy, they wanted caddies. Oh, I yeah. don't think we got caddies in 2007. I'm sure we didn't. We wanted to. They wanted to. Of course, they always want whatever. They all want the fucking sky. Can you play sky. as the caddy or like do you just? <laughs> no, uh, that's a good. Yeah. Why would you want a caddy if you can play as the caddy? <laughs> just to like, do you hit the ball? And you just, just they wanted you to, yeah. <laughs> just to torture them. You torture. Know? Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> I wanted to do game torture the caddy. <laughs> it would be really good. I want to do zombie golf. I thought that would be good. Where where you're playing golf, it's a regular golf game, but the zombies are slowly approaching you. And, and you know, every once in a while, you have to just. At one them. point, you realize you're hitting an eyeball, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I actually was on QA for um, Tiger Woods PGA. 06. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. I was at EA, uh, EALA. You were one of the four people. <laughs> yeah, I was one of the four people that was impressed, yeah. Uh, but there was this bug where something... Yeah, it was in 2005 that we were testing it. 
because it was for the next. Oh, time. okay. But uh, I left in two thousand five. Yeah, I was, I was out in 2005. Maybe too. you guys passed each other in the no, hall? No, but maybe you QC'd some of the stuff that I was fucking up. Or I didn't Probably. Know. Well, there's this funny book. We had cutscenes. Did you see yeah, the yeah. cutscenes? Yeah. But that was like the... F- that was wasn't 06. like the first time? It was next... It, we were it, doing... 06 was the first next gen one. Yeah. Yeah. So you were QCing my shit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Sorry about that. But, no, uh, that's all right. There, there's this Because you were like... Right. They, they, nobody <laughs> appreciated the fact that we had fucking cutscenes in there. Yeah. Oh. A tiger acted the cutscene. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he That's did the crazy. voice. I mean, he didn't do all the body motion. Why did they take it out? Actually, he did the body motion. They didn't take it out. They just didn't advertise it. Like, nobody knew that that was, like, a new thing. Anyway, yeah. keep going. I want to hear. There's this crazy bug where something happened with the rig, and uh, when you would go to go uh, take a stroke or whatever, the person's leg was the club, and then they were all, like, jumbled up like a tornado, and then you could just play the whole game like that. Oh, that's, that's awesome. awesome. <laughs> I was like, is this your work, Webster? <laughs> no, that would have been, why would that have happened? I, uh, I <laughs> did figured, you, oh. did you like answer, like, I hope the guy leaves the company who did that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think there's something wrong with the, the naming of the bones or something, because the leg replaced like the club or something. Yeah. It was very, very weird. Um, Anyways, so interesting. <laughs> I, I'd yeah. love to go back and revisit all that stuff. I have all the outtakes of Tiger too, between, you know, swearing. He would swear like a sailor between really? the actual takes. Yeah, that's so cool. I was gonna ask, was he nice? <laughs> super nice, oh, super okay. nice guy. Yeah, super nice. And what I learned from watching him was that, um, you know, golf was his like, it, you know, as an artist, like golf is his art, mm-hmm. and the work is everything that is promotion of Tiger Woods. You know, that oh, odds. okay. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So you must have met like a ton of celebrities then at this point. I met a few at this point. Yeah. Charlie's Theron a couple of years ago. Oh, nice. That's when you're on. Said time. something. Well, I, I mean, they're memorable ones. I said something stupid to Charlie's. <laughs> so. Please go on. <laughs> I have to tell the story now. Yeah. Yeah. It was at Seth's uh, birthday party. It was at his after party. Well, this is going out to the public. Anyway, whatever. So yeah. Um. It was at Seth's uh, birthday party, and uh, I was a little drunk, and I was introduced to her. And so I, and it was after Prometheus. And so I was like, I want to ask you a nerdy question. And she said, you know, it's very chic to say, oh, I'm such a nerd. Yeah, ask me. Yeah. And so I said, are you a robot? <laughs> you know, and I, I didn't even, I didn't even think like, oh, this could be like perceived as a really awkward pickup line. And she, and there was a totally awkward moment of silence. And then said, you know, it's like a big deal on the internet. Like, were you a robot in the movie? And then she laughed and, you know, okay. said, yeah, I was a robot and I, you know, get over it, you know, whatever. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> yeah, that is true. It was pretty bad. <laughs> you, you, you cleaned it up. It wasn't like you left it like that. Like, are you a robot? And I'm leaving. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, it didn't. It could have been worse, I guess. Anyway. So when you're doing like previs stuff for like Iron Man and the Wolverine and yeah. uh, even Ted, uh, yeah. how much do you factor in uh, traditional animation knowledge versus like the history of the character? Like the character would move like this because he's four years old and he is has this muscle weight or things like that. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, for Iron Man, I worked on the first Iron Man, so they were they were discovering what he was going to move like. And there was some motion capture, and we did some motion capture. And, you know, they wanted him to move kind of in this particular instance, kind of like John Wayne, oh. which is kind of odd. And not really like John Wayne, but have this sort of swagger. Right. Hmm. And um, 
so we were, you know, so we were discovering that, and it was more from a live action, if that's your question, more from a live action sort of, uh, you find it live action equivalents. Mm. And, um, and then for Ted, I mean, he hadn't been, it, that was all new, you know, he hadn't, we hadn't figured that out yet. So we, every, everything we're doing was discovering who, who we, who he is and what he could do. Like, yeah. you know, there was a lot of, a lot of back and forth about, well, he can't really reach across his body. He's got these short arms and this fat body yeah. and this huge head. So he can't, there's certain things he just poses he can't do, you know, yeah. and he's got these short little legs. So like a, a big deal was like, well, okay, Mark is walking next to Ted and Mark is going to overtake Ted and go past Ted every shot. And so they have to walk from, you know, across the park how do we do that in a way that makes sense that where Ted doesn't have to suddenly run to catch up like a little kid would, you know, the little yeah. kid would be walking yeah. and then run, 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 catch up to the parent and then run, 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 yeah. you know. Um, so it basically it was, well, in every shot, Ted starts a little ahead and falls a little behind. And then in the next shot, we do the same, you know, where he starts a little ahead and falls <laughs> a little behind. Cheated. Yeah, we just cheat it every uh-huh. shot, you know, but you have to keep that in mind because... All, even with mocap, all of the, the mocap for Ted is scaled down by a, like half because he's he's less than half the size of a human. Yeah. So he just does not move over the cover the same space. Uh, so so that's one where it's you know you're discovering it and it's just based on the physics of it. Uh, so so yeah. so when when you start figuring out like how he's going to move, does that then kind of turn into discovery for like the director where he's like, oh, we could probably do some funny stuff now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or how I mean, do you influence, like... The- yeah, like, Seth had it pretty much all... F- well, gosh, that's a good question. Because, like, there was a... Like, the... F- uh, I didn't really do that much on it, so I shouldn't... I, I'm not trying to take credit for it. But mm-hmm. Scott um, Rogers, our, our second unit um, um, director... Was he second unit? Yeah, second unit director and uh, stunt coordinator. Mm-hmm. And he's awesome. You see him in a lot of movies. He was I just spotted him in the SpongeBob movie where he's the stunt uh-huh. coordinator and I think second unit director as well. But he, you know, he shows up on screen as, as just a guy on the beach. But he's awesome. And um, he directed, he previs the whole uh, fight between... Mark Wahlberg and Ted in the, in the hotel room. And they did it, and they did it as stunt, what we call stunt viz, where they just, you know, he got a stunt man and a, and a, uh, a bear, you know, a teddy bear, and they just shot, you know, a fight and cut it together. Huh. And Seth loved it, and it worked, you know, but he, they figured that out, and, um, and it, yeah, it, it led to, you know, Seth had ideas, and Scott brought his idea. I mean, it's a collaborative mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah. I don't know if I answered the Does question. That... I got lost in there. Oh, yeah. It, it kind of influences, like, the original yeah. vision. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it, yeah. Like, on the movie now, I mean, I can't really talk too much about the movie now, but there's a lot of stuff where Seth just knows what Ted can or can't do and what, what looks good and what are his, you know, what are his little isms, you know, what he what he's known for, you know. And, and so it's it's... There's a there's sort of a vo- vocabulary, and I think the same is true with uh, let's see another character that I've worked on. I mean a lot of characters, but um, with Wolverine, it was more based on motion capture and and the other movies that had been done previously. So mm-hmm. we we would look at reference from the other movies and and and, and use that for sort of key poses. Um, oh, and there was like there were issues like, but I mean yeah, there's still like logic issues. Like okay. Mm-hmm. The adamantium, cl- this was just me, and I asked the question, you know, so he's, 
we worked on the bullet train sequence a lot, uh-huh. right? Where he's so his claws cut through anything. Does he have to? So the only way he could actually get a grip on the bullet train is if he's the flat parts of flat part of the blade is you know it's turned sideways. It's turned side. It's turned sideways. Yeah. So the flat part, you know, uh, is actually connect, contacting the circuit surface because basically it's a a frictionless surface if it's right. yeah. parallel to the you know the, the speed direction his uh-huh. hand is moving yeah. it's just going to cut right through it right yeah. so i asked this question of the, our previous soup on that you know or and the director was right there and i i and it was just kind of like oh god you're overthinking it <laughs> but okay yeah do it you know so i think i think that's what they ended up doing like like when he's you know static on the train yeah. he's his, his blades are sideways yeah so it's just kind of it's the funny thing cuz you you're like a pretty big Marvel nerd. Yeah. Would you notice something like that? Like, if you... well, I mean, not upon first viewing, but yeah, I would notice that later and be like, "Wait, there's enough force outside the train that he should be cutting." What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If Wolverine is on the side of a bullet train and there's wind blowing through his hair, and his adamantium claws are parallel with the direction of the wind, he's just going to keep moving across the train, cutting through it. That's mm-hmm. the only thing. Only. Yeah. Right. And this is really nerdy. But yeah. <laughs> It was the same thing on, well, I worked on Superman Returns, the Brian Singer yeah. movie. Uh, well, and Brian Singer did X-Men as well, but, um, but the, you know, and I worked on a couple of the pretty well-known shots, like the bullet hitting the eye shot. Yeah. And it, a lot of people worked on that. And it was first, I think, dreamed up by a guy I met much later in, uh, a guy named, um, well, his nickname is, uh, well, his name is Andre. Um, and he was doing previs at a company called, um, Pixel Liberation Front, PLF. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of, I think he was the first one to visualize that bullet hitting the eye. And then at the orphanage, which is now closed up in San Francisco, we did the actual shot. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I animated the bullet along with it. It was a lot of people in, involved. But it like raises the question, okay, so a bullet bounces off Superman's eye. <laughs> so why the fuck does not, does the, is the hair able to, it, is this, does his hair blow in the wind? Right? Mm-hmm. Right? If his eye, you know, well, maybe maybe it has to, the hair is just not made of bone. Like there's bone behind the eye, so maybe that's part of it. Or maybe what? that. What? I don't know. Bone? Because there's more. I don't know. Because like maybe the hair is just like. I'd um, buy it if it was like the Hulk, you know, where like the the Hulk that everybody hates, you know, the the one the Ang Lee Hulk, right? Yeah. Right, where the angrier he gets. The more powerful, I guess. The, it's a defense mechanism. Yeah, the harder his skin is, and the bigger he gets. You right. know. But so if you're saying like Superman's eye, because something is going to impact it, yeah. suddenly it's harder than his hair. But it's interesting because he's not. I even, don't know. It's just he these, does get affected by punches too. Yeah, like you can punch him. That I could even see, if yeah. Lois like is like you cat and like pushes him, he'll still go. Oh. Like, right. he moves back. Like, I mean, you could punch Superman and he'll fly, but a bullet yeah. hitting him, and he's not even, like, but he knows, bracing himself. Wait, wait, he, he, he knows the bullet's coming? He, I, I would assume would, so. He, would, he must. He's how faster is that? than that thing, so maybe he did brace himself, and that's why he's just holding himself against the bullet. I'm not buying it. And it's a small, with a high impact. I don't know. Oh, I'm going to think about this all night. <laughs> yeah, and, and, uh, and also the shot where he's faster than a speeding bullet, you know, so it was like, you know, we, we had to do the tracer bullets. Every third or fourth bullet was a tracer bullet. Mm-hmm. And like there's smoke and there's shells falling. And he has to, you know, he has to see the bullet. And this was a big shot. And we mm-hmm. did. And, um, but in, in reality, it was totally ridiculously fake because 
the bullet would be traveling so fast that you would never see any shells get ejected from the gun or the smoke even. It would be there, but yeah. (laughs) But it's pretty, you know, to see, you know, see the shells fall. There, basically everything in the shot is moving at a different actual rate of speed. Uh, Right. Yeah. Anyway, it's so, it's interesting because you're like balancing cheating along with human logic, how things would move. Yeah. It's all the time in movies and games. Like you, what is physically correct does not look, uh, uh, filmically interesting. Yeah. There's another way to say it that's cinematic. more... Cinematic. Ah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, what is physically correct is not cinematic. And likewise, in real life, like you'll be walking... This When I worked at EA, I was walking down the street with a bunch of really smart guys, and we were like looking at the shadows on the street, and it's like, look at that. If I put that... If you show that to me in a, on... Uh, you know, as a render, I'd say that was fake. You know, just shadows yeah. of trees. Yeah, yeah. You know. I used to do that a lot with, uh, cause I, I started out in art and doing art and things like that for games and stuff. And we would look out into the ocean and we'd be like, the specular on that yeah. water is way too high. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. That happens all the time now. Like, it, God, that is totally fake looking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reality is fake. Reality is so not <laughs> cinematic or, so, uh, oh, I was going to say, uh, when, so how did you break into the industry? Because so many people want to do this. Yeah, it's weird. weird. Yeah. It's weird to me now. Like, um, yeah, I meet people who are just starting out and um, it's weird. Yeah, because I've been doing it for, for like forever. It's crazy. But um, yeah, I was 18 and um, I actually didn't go to school for it. And I'm not proud of that. But um, mm. I was going to go to... You know, the big animation schools of the time, you know, CalArts or NYU film school, I wanted to go and I applied to some of them and then got rejected, but whatever. So I, um, I, uh, in my hometown, actually, I worked, um, you know, up in Oregon, I worked, um, as an intern, uh, in high school for some guys who then went up to, uh, Portland, Oregon, and in Portland, Oregon, there was one studio, and it was the Vinton Studio. It was Will Vinton Productions, and they did Claymation, and they were actually a big deal at that time, a big, big deal, and uh, they were expanding, and I just, I, you know, I did an audition sculpture for them, and I was like their youngest employee at the time, yeah. and uh, for a while, and um, the other guy who was the other, who came in just after me, who was younger, is still there, Kyle Bell, but... Um, but yeah, so the first thing I worked on as a professional was, uh, or, you know, at that professional level, I wouldn't say I was a professional yet, uh, was the Claymation Christmas special in 1988, 87. Um, and then it was like Michael Jackson's Moonwalker after that, uh, and a bunch of commercials. And, yeah. is, that, is that the game, Moonwalker? No, the feature. Oh. No, Michael Jackson's feature. And then, then he, we did a few projects with Michael Jackson. We did, well, they had done some work on Captain EO, the Disney. Yeah, right? They'd done oh, a little God. bit of work on Captain EO. So some of that stuff was around. And, uh, and then we did, uh, we did a segment, a big segment for Michael Jackson's Moonwalker feature called Speed Demon, which is kind of a bad thing that we did. It's not very good, but, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's Michael Jackson, so it's classic now. Yeah. And then, um, we did, and then he wanted to be a California raisin. And we did a Michael Jackson raisin thing. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I know that. When uh when you were starting out, what were your inspirations that get you into this field? Well, it's kind of typical like of 
especially of people who who do stop motion animation. It was like you know King Kong and Ray Harryhausen's movies, you know Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, and but for me also it was um, Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings was a oh, big yeah. like I wasn't that into Star Wars like mm-hmm. when I was ten or something and it came out. I actually wasn't that into it. I you know and I'm not. I mean everybody was into Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. It was a marketing phenomenon yeah. so you could not be and it was such an awesome movie so whatever i mean yeah we were all into that but <laughs> when the time star wars came out i was really you know for whatever reason like ralph Bakshi's lord of the rings really like the rotoscoping and the weird um uh xerox um what were they called codal the the xerox rotoscoping and this weird um, contrasty printing of the of the orcs, you know, that just, it just really grabbed me when I was a kid. And, uh, Oh, and that is, that's the technique that they use in the jungle book, you know, where they kind of just go straight from paper. They, they miss inking sort of, and they just, uh, them. well, that's the, that's what Disney, um, implemented on, I think 1,000, uh, 101,001 one, Dalmatians. Dalmatians. Uh, 101,000. Yeah. That'll be the, um, <laughs> Yeah, they, they developed their Xerox um, process and where you can see some of the working lines of the animator. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, but no, the rotoscoping thing was where you, it's, it's an old film technique used way back on Gulliver's Travels by the Fleischers. But, um, but Ralph Bakshi would do whole movies, uh, basically as live action and then, and then sort of trace every other frame of the live action. Uh, you know, in a sort of very realistic fashion, uh, but he could put it. Basically, it's the precursor to to uh, to like Beowulf and the the movies that uh, Zemeckis did. Mm-hmm. You know, right, yeah. the the you know where where Bakshi wasn't limited to what the sets could be because he could take the rotoscope live action and put it into any environment he wanted to, or have the uh, you know have the action be really outlandish without, without having to worry about the budget because it was all virtual. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Um, so once you had started, that was, you got your first like job. That was kind of it. You just had your foot in the door and you were just, in yeah, you never, that was really, kind of it. No breaks. Yeah. Know? That was a big deal. Yeah. Like, you know, that was really college for me and it was a, it was a, you know, I was 18 and, and, and I was there straight on through for about, three or four, three or four years. And then there were a few, three or four years where I was freelance and then were and it, you know, it was a 10 years in Portland and, um, and those were really formative years. And, and it was all just, yeah. I mean, at that time it was, a, it was a big start. Yeah. It was like, it was, it was actually coming in at kind of a high level yeah. in a way. I mean, uh, I was, you know, we were just pushing clay and I was uh, an assistant animator, but, uh, it was, you know, kind of high profile, yeah. projects right from the start and it's all it's kind of been steady like i haven't really had like i've been a supervisor on certain projects like oh. i was a supervisor on the host the korean mm-hmm. uh feature with the oh, creature yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so that was you know that was a big career highlight but you know then I, you know i i kind of go back to just being a worker bee on previs as well mm-hmm. so it's all kind of at the same level for throughout the career artistically you know in a way and and that's good because the problem with being a supervisor being in a management position is you you're taken away from the stuff you're you like to do you know that you're good at i've kind of noticed that too the the last project i was on i was the game director after being a designer for a long time yeah and then 
I wanted to go in and design and I couldn't because I had to oversee everything. Exactly. And it's just like, uh, I, I missed making fun. Yeah. <laughs> you become the guy putting the band-aids on the injured people. Yeah. You know, basically fixing, you know, it's like, well, I need help to fix this and you help them because you know how to do it. Yeah. So you help them, you know, or you fix the, t- it's just like, you know, you're like the chief, chief on the, um, assembly line. You yeah. Know? You, know, you know how to fix it. You know how to get the machine working and, and you're that guy, but you don't, you don't get to make the widget. You don't get to make it yourself. You know? Yeah. So it's a bummer. And yeah, and my favorite part about just being in there and making it is that I actually get to craft the final experience yeah. that the user is going to yeah. have. It's a and big deal. Yeah. I think for me, that's the biggest reason. Like, wh- why do you, what's the biggest reason for you to kind of do what you do? Is it like fa- reaction from the audience or just satisfaction and really good? you know, job done or... Yeah, I mean, it used to be... Yeah, it used to be, like, when I did films for the Sick and Twisted Festival of Animation mm. back in the... After, wow. just after Vinton's, um, I did a... I was... For a number of years, I did films for them, and that led to some commercial work, actually, mm. for Converse. But um, that was one where I would go to the to the film shows, and really, that was all about the audience reaction, and, and there was a big reaction. Oh, yeah. So, So that was... So yeah, so at, at at that point I was that way. But like I, last year I got to work on a, or 2013 actually, uh, two years ago, I did a music video and it was uh, probably, you know, the most creatively, artistically fulfilling uh, project I've worked on for like 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it was for this band called Beats Antique. Oh yeah, yeah. I love them. Yeah, and they, did, and they did a whole concert where it was a projection mapped concert and every oh, song... Yeah. Well, they've been touring around with it, and they they're still touring with it. But it's it's a sort of in a different permutation now. But um, they wanted to do so a different artist and a different visual theme for each song, and um, a different you know sort of visual artist um, or different animator or a different technique for each song, and um, and they wanted it also hopefully to be a standalone music video. And mine was pretty much the only standalone music video. And it was a song that was um, had Les Claypool as the guest uh, vocalist and guitarist mm-hmm. from Primus. Yeah. And um, so and that was one where I was just locked into a little space about you know about uh, ten by twenty uh, at Shadow Machine, the the oh, yeah. stop motion studio. Mm-hmm. And they lent me a space, and I just shot there on my own. And it really wasn't about the feedback from an audience. It was about what I thought was going to be neat. I mean, knowing that they would like it, you know, or they knowing there were certain things. But also, you you try to some some things you slip in there to speak to your friends who are fans. You know, like I I slipped in a bunch of stuff that was a reference to an old movie called From Beyond, and uh, and so I knew that people who knew that would <laughs> dig that. And then also I was showing stuff to my son who at the time was um, four or three. And, uh, and he would, he would look at the cut every day after I got back from, and so it was sort of a, a thing for him. Like, look what I, you know, Avery, look what I, I just shot, you know? So, so it was, it's, it's, I think the audience has gotten, you know, smaller for me, like, oh. you know, like, yeah, it's for me and it's for people who are my friends, you know? Yeah. I kind of, I kind of like doing that. Like when I design, I, I think of like, a specific person. Yeah. yeah. Like my brother would love this game. I'm going to totally like, you know, yeah. impress him. With this yeah. Game. I think of my buddy Warren Pruitt. I got to give him a shout out. He used to be in a band called Blackjack, the punk rock band in Portland, Oregon. And I 
worshipped him when he was in that band. I didn't, I wouldn't tell him that, but you know, like, well, he, he knows, but, but like, you know, when he was the lead singer in that band, I was like, wow, I'm such a fan, you know, and, but you know, you try to be cool and play uh-huh. right. Yeah. And so now he's my fan, you know, oh, that's awesome. yeah. And so like I, um, but I always think of him as like, you know, right in the f- seat, the, the front row of whatever I'm doing, like of like five people, you know, mm. and so like, so when I, Anyway, so uh, yeah, I think it's like it's Carol Burnett or I forgot who. What? She's, uh, I think it's Carol Burnett says that she always does the whatever she's doing on stage for like one person. Oh, the first the person in the front that she sees. Yeah, like it's all for her. Oh. And I, it's it, it's probably a specific person or somebody yeah. she spots. Someone she spots. Oh, okay, she's okay. Like, okay, that guy. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. It's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, um, I couldn't... yeah. I don't like looking out into the. Do you ever look out in the crowd when you? Perform? No, I try not to look at their faces. I do. I do a lot of improv. Yeah, I've been doing it for a long time. But whenever I look out, it's sort of like don't look at anyone in particular because yeah. you don't want to like see like a direct reaction to somebody or like you know, or see somebody you know. Like so many times, I can hear my friends laughter and they'll just set me off. Oh right, careful. yeah. I'll start cracking up. There was a show called the Green Screen Show. Oh yeah, which it's was new. only maybe one season. Oh, but it was, it was, um, the idea was they do improv and then they get animators to animate the improv. No way. Way. So, um. I wish I could have seen that. Why that only lasts one season? Well, I'll tell you. Were you on it? Did you? I was going to work on it. I was working at EA at the time, so I didn't, I couldn't really switch gears and and do it. But the producer on the animation side was a guy named Ron Diamond, who's down here, is still doing it. Still doing in the biz, big time. Um, but, um, so. So, like, you think about, it, like, the audience is with you on making the improv work, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, he, the guys on Drew Carey's show, you know, brilliant improv artists, they'd, they'd be like, well, what, you know, he'd be like, well, what, look at that. What do you think? And, of course, nobody knows what he's <laughs> imagining. Yeah. And that's part of the joke, right? Yeah. And then he'll, and he'll take a, he'll pretend to take, like, a sheet off of something right. to reveal it, right? Well, look! Yeah. There it is! And everybody's like... <laughs> what is it? We don't know, you know. And, well, there, it's obviously, it's a clown. Yeah. It's a clown under the sheet, you know. And so, that's really funny, yeah. right? Because the audience is kind of with you. Yeah. Like, and the joke is yeah. that you don't know what he's thinking of and you kind of have to guess, right? Uh-huh. And you kind of, but of course, when it's actually there as a drawing or as a cartoon, like the joke is completely ruined. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. There's no discovery. Yeah. There's no discovery and there's no audience creating something. So you have to be like, you have to really think it through and be a really good, both in terms of your storytelling and your craft as an animator to make it still funny. And, yeah. and occasionally it would work, you know, like they did a thing where they do a thing where like, um, they had all the actors heads down at the bottom, like on, on a, on, on the, um, the menu bar on a, on a, on, on, the Mac, like on a Mac, Mac OS. Yeah. yeah. And so their heads would pop up and they'd tell a line from a story and then the next person would have to pick up you know, and make oh, up the next word, line from the yeah. story. What's that game called? One word story or yeah. one line story. Yeah. Yeah. And so that actually was that, those were more successful. Yeah. Because yeah. it was like, you a, see it, coming. it was like the story was having to catch up to them and it worked better. So, so the improvisers were still making the discovery. That animation wasn't spoiling it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Because the audience can do it with them because you see it happening, right? Physically. Yeah. Like, well, it's story. almost like the story was like being delayed by these guys. The story was ahead of them in a way. I don't know. It, it, it worked better. 
It worked better. <laughs> I can see why it lasted a season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, you, but it's it's an artifact. It, it was the funny thing is like I saw all the stuff ahead of time because I was you know talking to Ron about working on it and it, it was really funny. Mm. Like against the green screen, just the improv. It was yeah. really funny. It sounds yeah. like Doctor Katz for improv, and that would have been mm. awesome. Yeah. Do you remember that show? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Um, so, uh, if you were to give advice to someone who wanted to get their start in the industry, like maybe doing what you're doing, previs and claymation, yeah. kind of, uh, what would, what would you tell them? Well, there's a lot. Like, um, I tell them one thing about Hollywood, like I've only been in LA. I've avoided LA for most of my career. <laughs> I worked here. Yeah. <laughs> I worked once in the nineties and it was like, no, I'm not going to LA. And so I, I, that was when I was in Portland and came down here and went back. And then I was in San Francisco, the Bay Area for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, avoided LA. But now I'm here and it's better. It's actually better than it used to be. But, um, but one thing I noticed is that the walls, the barriers to entry in the industry are really high here because everybody comes to LA to get into the movie business. So the studios and the people in charge, they, they make it really hard for a person to get in. So, uh, whereas like they, they're all chasing the dollar. Out in cities like Boston, New Orleans, Atlanta, uh, Vancouver, BC, uh, where else? Michigan, Detroit, maybe to, to shoot, you know, because they get tax incentives there. They cannot get enough crew in those cities, you know, so it's very easy to break in, 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 in Boston, for instance. So we, on Ted, for instance, we've, we had two or three people who've come back with the crew, you know, to work in LA after, you know, getting their start there yeah. on the show in Boston. And, um, uh, uh, so, so I would say that's one strategy, you know, go to one of the towns where there are tax incentives. New Orleans is a big one. Uh, Atlanta is a huge one. Um, they cannot get enough people. And that also includes, you know, visual effects because they're, you know, some, some of these cities have, some of the states have a visual a post-production tax incentives in place too. I mean, it's kind of a sad reality because, um, you know, yeah, well, there's a lot of politics behind all that. Anyway, whatever. So that's one strategy. Um, the other thing I would say is like, um, is, 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 uh, cause I'm dealing with this all the time. Well, like, you know, I keep an, I, I, I did some teaching up in the Bay area for a while. And I, um, you know, I keep an eye on certain students who are enthusiastic. So, you know, you know, and when I get a chance, you know, I, I try to kick them over some work or, you know, try to get them, I send them, you know, um, so it's all about your, your, your networking. I mean, you know that. Yeah. And it's also about, you know, having real enthusiasm and skill. So, yeah. So what do you think about, uh, like education system, like, a lot of people that I know, because I, mean, I mentor a lot, um, and I also teach, and a lot of them don't want to go through the full program because a lot of times they just tack on classes that aren't related to what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of know that you just need to start working in the industry, and then you keep working there, and you build connections and things like that. Yeah. What do you think about like apprenticeships? Like, are those are things of the past, right? Like, they used there used to be apprenticeships and um, apprenticeships. I don't know. Internships that are like apprenticeships are happen all the time, and mm -hmm. you know, especially in the live action side, they really you know 
I mean, it's kind of horrible what they do to the interns, but it's a good entry way. You know, they want interns. There's actually a lawsuit with Marvel over interns in, oh, in New York. Um, at, yeah, they were, it's, a, I don't know, it's in the news. Wow. Um, but you know, it's, it's an opportunity. I mean, it's, you know, productions, they want interns because they're inexpensive and they're willing to do most anything. So, and as a matter of fact, at e, when I was at EA, mm-hmm. you'd find the intern from, Tiger Woods 2004, I can almost remember his name, was now the guy in charge of a certain aspect of the game because he was the only one still there. The rest of the team, they had a big turnover at the time and the rest of the team would be gone and, and so-and-so who had been the intern, like I said, like on four releases ago was now the guy you had to go to to figure out how something worked. <laughs> yeah, so it's why I'm always nice to everyone like because there'll be producers the next day and you're like... Um, Okay, uh, one last question. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah. I, I, do you kind of feel that, like, a lot of these cool things that you do come upon, they're, they're not because of, like, some new technology that was introduced, but just kind of a, a, re-way, a way of revisiting techniques that have been around forever? Well, I mean, like, people are always, you know, talking about wanting originality, but really Hollywood doesn't run on originality. It's right. the same thing in a different, you know. Repackaged. With a different, yeah, repackaged. And so, you know, really original ideas, you know, usually fail and then are just rediscovered years and years later, you know, as, as being ahead of their time, hopefully. But, um, so, so, I mean, like the stuff that kind of works is stuff that like harkens back to old ideas. Like, I mean, one of the reasons the Hobbit, you know, the Lord of the Rings works is, is this, the core idea is really intriguing. It works better than like the, Chronicles of Narnia, you know, because mm-hmm. at its core, I mean, it's a the hero's journey. It's a certain. T- I, I I can't really. Other people have been able to break it down. It's more. It's a hero's journey, but it's you know the idea of power corrupting is something that recurs in it mm-hmm. constantly, and and so you know it's it's this old hook that that gets you in. And for me, like you know, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy head is like the old H.P. Lovecraft hook where it's like if it's, you know, any, any, or, or the, was it Isaac As? No. Who was the one who said, um, any technology sufficient, sufficiently advanced will seem like magic? Oh, I like that. Yeah. Who was that? Who was that? Was it, that it was either Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, or Arthur C. Clarke. Like it was Asimov. probably Arthur C. Clarke. Anyway, so, so, and that's also an idea from H.P. Lovecraft in a way, a similar idea where, you know, it's not that it's, it, it, it's not that it's supernatural. It's just an, it's just very alien to us, yeah. you know, and, and there's another idea, uh, where, uh, and actually I got introduced to this from a very odd angle, but you know, like our idea of morality, are we high? Because this is like a conversation for like being high. <laughs> Our idea of morality, like, you know, commonly held human morality is just an evolutionary trait that our species has adopted because it helps us survive as a species. Mm-hmm. But other species or other uh, creatures from another planet may regard our um, morality as evil or have a different morality that works for them that we regard as evil, mm-hmm. right? So, um, anyway, 
just that shot in Guardians of the Galaxy reminded me of all those uh-huh. things. You know? Oh, man, you blew my mind. Uh, sorry. <laughs> that was it. All right, uh, well, I want to thank you, Webster, for taking time out of your very... All right. That was... That guy is so awesome. He's really cool. I love Robinson Colcord. Yeah. He was really fun. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about uh, special effects. Uh, I, I think in the last episode, we talked with Paul Bryan a little bit about um, believability in effects. And then I brought up the Ewoks. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and even though they're not very believable, they were like super cute. And especially if you're young, it was, it was, it was fine. But some effects can either work for you or against you. And we're going to go over those uh, right now. This is certified fun. So, uh, the certified fun for this week for me is, uh, there's so much stuff to choose from, but I'm going with the, um, the planet of the apes that came out in, I believe 2010. You're talking about Tim Burton? No. I was like, uh, vehemently disagree. (laughs) No, it was, uh. Oh, you mean like, um, what was it? Rise of the planet of the apes? Rise of the planet of the apes. Yeah. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. And. The thing, the thing that really sold it to me was, um, like everything was really well done. His animation, like his body had such good weight to it. Um, you're talking about Caesar. Caesar yeah. Uh, but the thing for me was his eyes, like mm. his eyes were so well animated and they, they told the story of what he was thinking, mm-hmm. like all the time. And it's much more powerful when you can get a message over to a user or an audience without explicitly telling them what you're trying to do. You're letting them discover it on their own. And when you're reading Caesar's eyes, you know what he, you discover for yourself what he's thinking. And it's so much more powerful and more deep that way because you know it's coming from a place, an emotional place rather than, I'm really angry at you. But when you see someone like seething and they don't say anything, you could tell they're angry at you. And it's just much more powerful that way. And I thought the way they were so well done, the way his, specifically his eyes were animated and how they, how they told the story, I thought, was a really that's how special effects should be done they should be done in especially in this case for more realism and it was very realistic about how his how his eyes reacted to the things that are happening around him you know that's like a sign of a really good story when you can show it instead of telling it so like you know like you said you know he's having emotions because you can see it in his eyes and i also think it's really poignant for that particular movie because uh in planet of the apes he's called bright eyes you know in the original one he's bright eyes through most of the movie. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think they have a reference to that in the movie. The mother's name is maybe, did she Cornelia? Or did they call her Bright Eyes? It's something like that, um, but it's mm-hmm. a reference to the old movie. If you watch that movie after having watched um, the Charlton Heston one, it's uh-huh. so good. There's yeah. so many amazing references in it. <laughs> I do like the, you know, get your, when the first time he talks, that's that's my favorite scene. Oh, right? oh yeah. Yeah. My, one of my favorite is, um, God, was this, his um, Draco Malfoy. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he plays the uh, the guard or whatever, and he has the moment where he goes, it's a madhouse, a madhouse, <laughs> which is a direct steal from... Um, uh, Charlton Heston in the original movie, <laughs> which is one of my favorite movie lines in movie yeah. history. So I was really happy that I it think, was there. I, I think in comedy they call that a callback. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not where, sure. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> where, uh, yeah, I love that's Well, that, that'll that be in the comedy episode. I love like breaking down comedy as well. Uh, you're, you have a certified fun, Amy? So my certified fun uh, comes from Leica Stop Motion Animation Studios um, in its Coraline, which came out in February 2009. Um, it was, it went over extremely well, won a bunch of awards. 
Um, and it's based off of Neil Gaiman's 2002 novel with the same name. Mm-hmm. And you just watch the movie and it's so beautifully done. Like the world is interesting and magical. The designs are really, are, are really beautiful as well. And so, um, extreme too. Mm-hmm. They're just like, you know, like really big chested or like really skinny legs. They're, and Coraline's life is so normal and so natural. And then it's such a great flip when she goes into this creative and beautiful world. Mm-hmm. And I just thought the storytelling was done really well. There was a lot of showing and a lot of telling in that too. Mm-hmm. And you watch it multiple times and you pick up on more things. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of more uh, subtle giveaways for the ending. And it's just like a really mm-hmm. beautifully told story through stop motion animation. I love that. Do you think they could have told the same story with live action or would it have been the same? They probably could have. Uh, potentially. I've read Neil Gaiman's book also. And like it, I mean, obviously it tells the same story pretty well, but there's just something so beautifully fantastical mm-hmm. uh, about the way that they did telling it using the stop motion animation. Right. I don't know. I wonder if the button thing, I think the button thing reads really well and the transformation of the mother reads really well through stop motion animation. Mm. And in real life, you could do it with CGI, right. but I think, I think they chose the correct medium. Yeah. I, I like the, uh, we had an interview with Rich Fogel that's coming up, mm-hmm. but I remember he said that um, you, if you're doing an animation, take advantage of that medium. Yeah. Like why have talking heads, mm-hmm. you know, just sitting around talking if it's animating when you could do all kinds of like crazy stuff with that medium. So um, I, th- I think, I do think that stop motion was really cool because it's kind of realistic, but also not. So it's very surreal. And I think that it serves the story really well for that. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, all right. So now for the opposite spectrum. <laughs> End of the praise. This is fun. Almost. All right. Uh, so almost fun. Uh, for those of you that don't know, um, this is where we look at a product related to the topic of the podcast. Uh, something that like was well done, but there's a couple of things they've, they've could have changed about it that would have made them certified fun that would have made them really well would have made them awesome uh so for this <laughs> for this uh episode my almost fun is uh is dwayne the rock johnson in the scorpion king um are your and- almost funs always going to be about <laughs> wrestling <laughs> <laughs> it'll always be related i promise uh, <laughs> uh, so this was uh, i think it was the mummy 2 i believe the scorpion King. oh god yeah <laughs> but, yeah I, I don't even have to explain it I've never, uh no it was it, he the rock looked like or the scorpion king looks like when he finally at the end of the movie he he's full scorpion half scorpion half uh guy mode um, he just looks like a PS2 character. He doesn't look realistic at all. And the movie kind of builds up to that moment. And be, it, because it, he doesn't look real and he doesn't look threatening, and in fact, he looks kind of funny, it just destroys the scene and it destroys the ending because it, it wasn't believable. It wasn't realistic. It wasn't well done. And that movie could have been really, really good. Uh, if it wasn't for those special effects falling like flat on their face, and I'm sure they've, I'm sure there's budget issues or there's art issues or whatever the issues were, um, they probably would have, it would have served them better if they had done more of a live action, you know, like first Jurassic Park thing where you have real animatronics in there or something that would have looked better than the very weird uh, plastic looking Dwayne Johnson. 
Uh, so that's my almost fun. Uh, my almost fun comes from Leica Stop Motion Animation Studios, exact same studio that made Coraline. And this is for Box Trolls, which came out of September of last year. And that's based also on a novel called Island Snow's uh, Here Be Monsters. And I thought, like, it was a completely opposite movie from Coraline. Like, coming out, I'm always excited for animation because I'm a voiceover artist and I love animation. So I always want to, like, support animation when I see it. And so they had, this movie came out, and I watched it with a bunch of friends who aren't quite as critical of movies as I am. And everyone just thought it, it really fell short. Like, mm. the designs are really ugly and confusing yeah. also. Like you're, and so is the world. The world's unbelievable and confusing. And some of the voices cast were, I remember the, the daughter was um, like so uh, older sounding. I think she was supposed to be a kid, but like the voiceover artist, and maybe this was an, a directorial choice as well, didn't want her to sound like a child. So she's just like, you know, walking in like, dad, what's going on? <laughs> um, I thought the characters were unrelatable and the, uh, the jokes were cheap and it was just uninteresting overall. Uh, and I thought it, it had a lot of potential because there are a lot of good voiceover artists on it. Uh, it has an interesting idea like this boy is raised in a world of like monsters and has to try and sort of understand the world above. But I think they, and I think they just maybe got like a little desperate during the, the creation of it and were like, bigger, better, let's create big, huge robot robots and whatnot to get attention. And it was compared to Coraline, which was like a really personal heartfelt story and then this which just was fantastical and unrelatable mm -hmm. i think they they dropped the ball between 2009 and 2014 mm. what what do you think would have improved the the movie <laughs> i think that I, I really feel like they could have done something different with the designs i think they wanted them to look like ugly trolls right um which is fine but they were just so you couldn't relate to that design at all and the characters even the humans were not attractively designed so you didn't relate to anybody in it. And I felt if it was a more personal story, because you kind of, there's a relationship between the daughter and her father uh -huh. and it's barely there. Like you get the feeling that she wants his attention and his love, but like that story is way more interesting than like, let's hunt down these trolls. And, you know, I want to take over the city. I need this hat. Uh -huh. It's so much more interesting to be like, well, what about this poor little girl who wants the attention of a father who, who has focused on work? Right. That story to me, and if you put fantastical elements in it, it's so much better done. And that's kind of like what Coraline did. Because mm -hmm. there's a lot, it's about her and her relationship with her mother. Right. And then there's fantastical elements like this. Every kid has that feeling of, oh, I moved to a new, not every kid, but like kids have that feeling. I moved to a new town. I have no friends. People are weird here. Yeah. And Coraline goes through that and she's trying to relate to her family who dad's focused on work. Mom's like been in an accident. She's yeah. folk, not like no one's paying attention. Yeah. And all she wants is her mother's love. And she goes to another world where that's all she gets. And she realizes that she needs more than just the superficial stuff that mm. comes from the other mother. Right. Yeah. It's, it's funny because in, in improv, uh, they, that really is kind of the key to having great scenes is relationships mm -hmm. because only so many times can you be like, well, we not, we need to raise money for the farm and how are we going to blah, blah, blah. But really nobody cares about the story of it. Improv is so weird like that. Like it's <laughs> never about plot. If yeah. it is, you're doing it wrong and it's not interesting. Whereas in the story, it is about the plot. And that is uh, fun almost. All right. I feel like I'm whistling a lot. Do you hear that? I probably need a pop filter. That's how I should do this. 
whistling. Yeah, I need a pop filter. That's a problem. Do you have? Yeah. It's on my mic stand. Why are we recording this? <laughs> what should we done? <laughs> That's fun, almost. All right. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And always, uh, we're at um, whatmakesitfun.com. Check us out on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash whatmakesitfun. You could be our first patronizer. Um, <laughs> Is that what that's called? Yeah, I, I'm assuming. I mean, that would be it. Uh, you are available at... Uh, you can look, find my website at ameliaclover.com, and then you can find me on almost any other social media as Amelia Clover VO. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, this is Joe Mars for Amelia Clover saying have fun.